Who loves the word of God? I think you have to have that heart that if you're going to be serving God the rest of your life, that you need to love the word of God because when I look at it, it gives life, amen? It is a living, breathing organism in and of itself. And if you open yourself up to it, it affects you. And so, so often I can look at the lives of people and tell by their behaviors if they're in the word of God. Why don't you think about that? Because I, I got to tell you, I mean, I'm speaking to myself here that there's times where if I'm in a funk, the first thing that I need to evaluate, and hopefully my, my wife notices it in me and others notice it in me, is like, the first question should be, have you been in the Word? Because I can almost guarantee you that answer is no. When you open yourself up to it, it affects you. It changes who you are. It changes your attitude. It changes how you approach things in life. And here we are. We're going through the book of 1 Peter. And we're in my favorite chapter, chapter 2. And today as you're turning there, I, I want to ask you this question. What does it personally feel like to be chosen? To be called chosen. And what I mean is when, when someone decides they want you. I don't know about you, but there's, there's not a better feeling in the world to that day when I saw the woman that I'm like, man, I'd, I'd love to date and marry her. And that as much as I chose her, she chose me. And then what that does for me as a person where I have found someone that I have linked up to the rest of my life. And I can remind her every day, I chose you. And she can remind me every day, well, you gave me no choice. <laughs> now, when I was in grade school, and I, I, I talked to my daughter about this, and she's like, yeah, yeah, they don't, they don't do that anymore. But when I was in grade school and I was in physical education, they used to pick two people out of the whole class, and those two people were the captains for whatever sport we were playing that day. And inevitably, it were the two jocks in the class that would be picked, and those two jocks got to stare at the lineup of people, and they got to rotate selecting the players that they wanted on their team. In school, I, I know you can't imagine this, I was, I was a chubby kid, didn't fit in, and so inevitably, I would be one of the last ones picked. And you'd feel awful about it, and then I, I had one of those attitudes, I'm a pretty competitive guy, and it's like, well, I'm going to show them. Because I did, I, I was kind of skilled. And so there was times where that did show up, because I was, I, I was coordinated, but I did lack confidence when it came to being around other people. And that lent itself to someone who was almost always picked near the end, just because I didn't fit in with them. And 
I know that there were times where I was picked early on, and all of a sudden it's like, huh, they, they see my worth. They see my value. But there were those many times where I wasn't picked. And I'm just like, man, I don't like that feeling. When I think about Peter writing to people who are in persecution, writing to people who are suffering, writing to people who have seen others die for their faith, they're being persecuted on a regular basis. They're not feeling very valued. They're not understanding how here they are, they're living out this faith that seems so life-giving, so, so promising, and yet at the same time, they're having to die for it. And Peter, he decides to write them a word of encouragement. And I know there are so many times in my life that I do need encouraged in difficult times. And that's what we're going to read this morning. I ask you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 4, and we're going to read through verse 10. But let's look at the Word of God this morning. It says, you are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. Everyone say cornerstone. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. Think about that. He's rejected by all the people that witnessed Jesus in person. But he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor. And anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him, but those, but for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that, verse 9. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he has called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people... Now, you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Let's pray. Father God, I, I pray for each and every person in this room. Lord, I think we can identify with what it feels like to not be picked or think we don't have favor. To not identify as singled out by you, as chosen. But God, your word says different. And so, Lord, I pray that this morning you will just transform minds. Allow us, through the impression of your Holy Spirit, that we think different about who we are in you. I thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said...
Amen, amen. There is an honor to being called chosen. And I want us to examine, starting out here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, Peter says, you are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. Now, in the eyes of mankind at that time, human builders, and, and Peter illustrates this through human builders, and I have by de facto become a builder through moves, so I find what he says here fascinating, that builders, what they did was they looked at the quality of the stone, and if it didn't meet their specifications for what a cornerstone would be, and it didn't fit their ideals, they discarded it, or they would use it just later on in their building. And understanding this theme, Peter is saying that Jesus wasn't what they were expecting. He wasn't what they were looking for. He did not fit their ideals. And this word keeps popping up that Jesus, he was a part of God's counsel or plan. And the, that word is that Jesus was chosen or he was elect. He was God's elect. But for verse 4 to say that he was chosen for honor means that God singled him out. He was handpicked to be God's cornerstone for the kingdom. Now, in about 2.5 months, coming up in about two and a half months, there are five of us now from this church that are going to Thailand. And when Move builds building, we build concrete buildings. And on day one, the most important thing that we're going to do, we are going to arrive, and there is going to be a concrete slab sitting there. And at the corners of this slab and everywhere where we have a column, there's going to be rebar sticking out. And the most important thing we're going to do on day one is we're going to make sure that slab is square. We're going to do all our measuring, and then once we determine it is square and determine exactly what square looks like there, we are going to start setting up our corners. And so we use our block, and we start building up these corners, and we've got, we've got a line all the way down both ends of the slab, making sure that our first few blocks are lined up perfectly straight. Because if you have any block that is not lined up perfectly straight, what is that going to do to your wall? Your wall is going to look like a disaster. You're not going to be able to hit the rest of your columns the way you expect to, and by the time you get off at the very end of the wall, it's going to look ugly. And in those days, what they did was they used this chiseled stone, and that stone needed to be perfect to be the foundation for the building so that everything else falls into place. And more often than not, what man believes to be ideal in our lives is not God's plan. Who can reflect over the course of your life and determine that many things that you thought were ideal for your life, God thought different and his plan was better? I can say that. But something interesting about God is, God also, he has a different standard by how he honors. I think about uh, how he describes the upside-down kingdom. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. God looks at things so different than we do. 
And so often we think about what it took for Christ to die. And I want to I tell you this, and this is so true. The honor of Christ isn't in his death. It is in his victory and his resurrection over death. Now man, how they expected the Messiah to come was that he would take his rightful throne in Jerusalem and he would be king sitting on the earth and everyone would bow down to him here on the earth. And that was their ideal Messiah. But Jesus, he became the conquering king when he defeated death. And he took his rightful place at the right hand of God. See, the honor of Jesus Christ is because he was able to do what no one else could. He lived a sinless life. He faced the same temptation as you and I. And he understood our human weakness and frailty. A verse that I absolutely love, Hebrews 4, 15. It says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus, being sent from heaven, as I have referenced the past several weeks in Hebrews chapter 2, being sent from he. Uh, heaven, not succumbing to the temptation of sin and Jesus going to the cross to take our place and then being raised to life, it demands honor. And it demands that we properly honor him. And then we, we took a part of communion today. And part of communion is that we have that reverence and honor when we, when we partake of communion. And I got to tell you, the one thing I don't like about the way we do communion now is the fact that it can lend itself for socializing at a time when we need to be reverent. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We need to be reverent in that time. And it is so important because Jesus Christ is worthy of all honor. And if we can't honor him in the very symbolizing of what he did for us, then our lives can't be a testimony unto him. Here's the reality. We cannot do what Jesus did We don't deserve any glory or honor that is completely reserved for him. So as good as your life is, as as many successful things that you've, you've done, maybe even in the faith, we need to give appropriate praise and credit to the work of Jesus that we could never do. Now here's the reality. God tells us there are rewards for what we do in this life. And there is going to be a place of honor in heaven one day, but I am telling you, the reason that you have the ability to stand there in the first place is because of what Jesus Christ did. Not because of anything you did. Jesus Christ, he's our mediator. He bridges the gap between us and God. See, you and I, we can go to God through Jesus, and this scripture reinforces that Jesus had taught this in 
uh, Peter's presence, I want you to hear this. Jesus said in uh, John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so he is reinforcing this idea that I am your mediator to God. You can only get to the Father through me. And the reason for this is because no one else could live a perfect life and then take your place in death for your sin. So guys, I want you to hear this out. If, if, if we serve the creator of the universe and we recognize what Jesus has done for us, then every other person on the face of the earth has to fall in line and believe the same thing because nothing can redeem us from our sins but Jesus Christ. I need to be so clear about that. There are churches today that are teaching that many roads lead to heaven. I can't ascribe to it. I can't. And you can't allow that standard in your life either because that is contrary to what Jesus teaches. That's contrary to what we read here in 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning. It's contrary to Hebrews 4.15. And then Peter goes on and we learn that we are built with Christ as the cornerstone of our lives and we in turn become living stones. Who knows that stones are living? There is life in stones. And Peter goes on to further illustrate this by saying that we become holy priests, which we're going to talk about later, but this role as priest is a new role because of Jesus Christ. I know that we hear priest and we think about those Old Testament priests. Who's with me? You hear about that and you think about that Old Testament role that in the children of Israel there were 12 tribes and the tribe of Levi could be the priests. And part of their role was making animal sacrifices and prepare, preparing the sacrifices for the people. And Jesus, what he does is he eliminates the need for animal sacrifice by giving up his life, but he didn't eliminate the need for us to make daily sacrifices. Through Christ, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 teaches us that we make spiritual sacrifices to please God. Did you see that in 1 Peter 2.5? This is important. Because spiritual sacrifices are done through prayer. It's done through praise. It's done through reading the word of God. Spiritual sacrifices are done when you consecrate yourself through Jesus Christ. That you're not walking in sin and you have set yourself apart from the standard that the world practices. And you're following God's standard. I want us to grasp spiritual sacrifices really well. Listen to this. The greatest spiritual sacrifice we can make is living for him every day. Romans 12.1, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So you can be found acceptable to God through Christ, which continues, check this out, when you are in service to God in this way, it continues to heap honor on Christ for that sacrifice and what he's done. Who wants to live that way? But we fall short, don't we? We find ourselves falling short. 
But something I can tell you about God and that we can embrace here in this word in 1 Peter chapter 2 today is that there is freedom in being chosen. There's freedom in that. And there's things that change about us when we let God's spirit affect us. I remember the first time that I was in a church service and I was hearing the truth about Christ and I felt guilty by what was being said. I felt this guilt over sin and and the weight of what I had done and the choices I had made and I felt the pull and that desire to escape what I felt entrapped me. I wanted a way out. And then all of a sudden, I, I, I'm receiving this word, and I, I don't even know who was giving the word at the time, but I, I was coming to the knowledge of the sacrifice Jesus made in redeeming me from my sin, and that God chooses not to hold it against me, but he looks at me as forgiven, and I become reconciled to him because of the work he's done through Jesus Christ. I hear all that, and I said, I need that. I want that in my life. And so I had to embrace this truth that he has done all this for me. There is no amount of work that I can do to receive it. I I just have to freely accept it and choose it. But then I had to wrestle with the why me. Why does he do this for me? We're his creation. He loves us. He created us with intent to walk in unity. And the only way we can be unified with God the Father is through God the Son. I was offered a freedom I'd never accepted as an option. See, because I, I grew up in this system where I would, I would hear that Jesus Christ will forgive you of your sins, and I'm like, great, let's wipe the slate clean, and I'm going to start over tomorrow. And I'd keep on sinning. But who knows that does not honor God. He knew my intent the whole time. But acceptance of Christ and acceptance of what he does, when you are truly repentant of it, it washes away the guilt, and then you discover freedom and you discover his mercy upon your life. In Romans chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, it says, We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead, and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. Check out verse 11. This is important. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. If you were to ask just the general person outside the four walls of this church, what is more powerful than death? What would the answer be? I think nothing. 
For them, it's the one thing they know they can't escape, and it's the, every, it's the one thing that everyone seems scared of that hasn't found any hope. And yet, in Christ, what we learn is there's victory over death, and you can walk in that freedom and victory. But here's the thing that I see lacking in churches today is people walking in confidence in that. Maybe they're still clinging on to their past sin. Or you have, you have people in your lives that are quick to remind you of how imperfect you are. But God calls you chosen. He calls you forgiven. And there have been times in my life when I was specifically chosen over someone and specifically selected out of a group of people. And it made me feel good at the time. I felt special. I felt linked up. I felt united with that person that picked me. For instance, I recently had a friend that was in line for a job. And he was selected by the head of that organization to take over after that head retires. The problem is that wasn't his decision because he had a board that he answered to. And this guy that was hoping for this position, he started fretting if their process, if they chose for him to require that he apply. And then he thought, well, I'm just going to be one of the applicants and then they're not going to select me. And I said, no, 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 I think there's a benefit in this. Hear me out. There's a benefit here. Because the head of that organization is going to retire and he's going to go off into the sunset. And then what's going to happen is you are forever linked up with people that you weren't their choice. And that sounds awful. So if I were you, what I'd rather do is I'd rather have them open it up to applicants, be one of the applicants, and they choose you. Because then there is no mistaking it. You were their choice. And you're agreeing to work with them. And next thing you know, you can work together, not against each other. Because you're all in agreement. There's a confidence that he could walk in then. And for you and I, I am telling you that God knew you in your mother's womb. You might have been brought to this world through some difficult circumstances, but God didn't make a mistake. And because God didn't make a mistake, and, and he knitted you together in your mother's womb, and, and he so intimately knows you that he knows every hair on your head, and he knows every aspect of your life and what's going to happen to you, God chose specifically to send his son to die for you. And I know so often what we'd fall into the trap of is we think about the 8 billion people in the world right now and we think that we are just a number in that 8 billion. But make no mistake about it, you as an individual are God's creation. And you should have confidence in knowing that God chose to send his son for you. Isaiah 32, 17 says, And this righteousness will bring peace. Yes, it will bring quietness and confidence forever. If you ever said, Pastor, why do I need the word of God every day? As well, it's because I'm not a very confident person. 
And I need that word of God to remind me of things like this each and every day. That he has chose me. He is walking with me. He sent his son for me. And as long as I walk in that righteousness, I have this confidence in knowing that I am not my own. I have been bought with a price and I am a son of the living God. It's so important because when God instills his spirit in us, it speaks of hope and eternity. It speaks of peace in knowing that if we stay the course, if we live for him, that one day he's going to call us home into eternity and we will reign with him forever. Think about this. No more sickness. No pain. No persecution. And when you consider yourself that you have been embraced by God for all of eternity. There is no outside force that can take that away. It doesn't matter what happens in this life. No one can take eternity from me. That's why I can say confidently, there is no power greater than God. Isaiah 40 Verses 25 through 26. It says, to whom will you compare me? This is God speaking. Who is my equal? Asked the Holy One. Look up to the heavens who created all the stars. He brings them out like an army one after another, calling each by its name because of his great power and incomparable strength. Not a single one is missing. There's nothing else that can do that. There is nothing else more powerful. And so, that being said of you, servants of the living God shouldn't walk in defeat. If you are walking in defeat, you're focused on the wrong things. Christians that walk in defeat are too focused on temporal things, not on things that last. Here in Peter, he is writing to people under persecution, people who are being truly oppressed. But yet, we learn from Paul in Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? And he is writing this in in view of knowing that people will come against us. But in reality, even if they take our life, they cannot take our eternity. We all have enemies. We have shortfalls. We have challenges. But the gift that God gives you, no one can take away. Yet I see Christians who blame God if their relationships aren't going right. They didn't get the job they wanted. Or there's not enough money in the bank. And I want to challenge you, do not limit God only to things that decay and will constantly need replenished. Don't limit God to that. The power of God can move the foundations of the earth, church. He can create the galaxies, and he can seal your life for eternity. That's the work that God can do. And so my confidence doesn't come from myself and my own power. It comes from the God that I serve and knowing his ability. Think about it for just a moment. If we were to rest on our own abilities, I'd completely give up. I'd lose hope. Because within me, I mean, my talent only runs so far. And I don't know about you, but I tend to find myself getting in trouble from time to time because of those talents. 
The number of times I have failed, lost confidence, given up, it's, it's way too many. But thank God he never gives up on me. And so once you can fathom that love and, and that sacrifice that Jesus has made, it compels me to reciprocate with that same love and sacrifice as much as I possibly can. And we can't measure up to what he's done. But we need to choose to dedicate our lives to his service. There's responsibility in being chosen. Don't forget it. To being called the chosen, there's a responsibility that, that falls upon you, but my identity is found in the one who chose me, and so because of the fact that he had chose me, I choose to walk in that on a daily basis and assume all responsibilities that he has told me to follow. Galatians 2.20, it says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The day I chose to recognize the sacrifice Jesus made, that he did it for me, I accept that he took my place and my life and that trajectory of my life are changed forever. But I also make the choice that any personal desires I had, any plans that I had for my life, it can change because of my new dedication to him. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. It says, don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. That speaks again to that daily sacrifice. And part of that, you might hear that and you say, Pastor, that is an awful big sacrifice that I'm being asked of. But here's the thing. Knowing what it means to be chosen also helps you know who you pledge your allegiances to. You know, there is nothing more ridiculous I find in allegiances than the typical sports fan. I am one. I love my sports. And if I said my teams right now, I'd probably get booed out of the room because of your fandom, right? Chances are, if Kelly came up here and started talking about the Dallas Cowboys, I'd probably run out booing. It's just, it, it's the way it is, and it's, it's how we fall into this fandom. But, and your fandom in your team is expressed through usually shouting at the television, who can relate with me? Wearing your team colors, even if they are ugly, like green and yellow. See, I'm stepping on all kinds of toes today. And, and we celebrate our favorite players, don't we? But what happens when they mess up? Oh, brother, it's ugly. And here's the funny thing about fandom. So when your team selects that player that you've wanted in the draft, we just expect immediately that they completely sell out for the sake of that team that they had no choice but to go to, right? And they might be in a bad situation. 
The Chicago Bears this year might have the first pick and draft Caleb Williams, and he's like, yeah, I'm out. And I'm a Bears fan, guys. Yeah, exactly. And so in the grand scheme of life, if we were to think about life for just a minute, there is nothing really more silly than the expectations that we put on people and where they pledge their allegiances to, especially when it comes to sports. How much greater our allegiances should be to God than our team colors, right? How much greater our allegiances should be than to the place that we work? More so to God. You know what? I love my wife. I'll die for her. But if she puts me above God, or if I put her above God, we're getting things out of order here. And the reality is that if you, you set the course of your life by who you pledge your allegiances to, and first and foremost, I pledge my allegiance to God because he directs the course of my life. And he tells me what ways to go. Are you hearing me, church? See, verse 8 and 9, it speaks to blessing, but also the responsibility that we carry. And I want you to read this with me. Uh, it's 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It says, and he is the stone that makes people stumble. The rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word. And so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he has called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. There is nothing I love more than them talking about, you know, Jesus, he, he, he reveals our sin, and it says he is the stumbling block, but you are not like that. Because you have seen and recognized exactly what he has done for you. And you can admit your faults. You can admit your sin. And as a result of just choosing him, you have been elevated to royal priests. You know, Royal priest has its roots found in Exodus 19.6. Listen to this. It says, and you will be a kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. And so here the idea of priesthood, it carries the connotation of service, mediation, and offering sacrifices to God. Now you as a royal priesthood, believers are set apart to serve God, mediate his love to other people that you come in contact with, and offer spiritual sacrifices, which we've covered already. See, we are not just subjects. We are not just mere subjects to the kingdom of God, but we are active participants in his work. And so you at some point, you have to choose. Am I going to be dedicated to the world? Am I going to be dedicated to God? Because he's chosen me. And I just have to freely accept it. But the moment that you accept that and the moment you admit and recognize that, you know what, God has chosen me, I choose him. 
that we are now participants in his work. And he doesn't lord over us. He empowers his people as we pledge our allegiance to him. And the responsibility that comes in when others begin to see you as different. Because when others look at you, what do they see? Do they see someone who's changed? Do they see people who live like they're in service to the kingdom of God? Or are they seeing something different? Do they see maybe people that act like they're indentured servants? It is your testimony, it is the way you live that is what connects people to God. And your life, check this out, your life better be built in following the pattern of what Christ left for us. If not, it, it causes us to reevaluate and think about how we should be living. I don't know about you, I don't, I don't want to bear false witness of who Jesus is. I want people to realize that God chose them since the foundations of the world. And if we just embrace that Jesus is the chief cornerstone of that foundation, Jesus is who we build our lives upon. If they can realize that by the way I live, then I have held up to my responsibility. But I gotta tell you, it takes a long time to get there. It's not something that happens immediately. It is choosing to align yourself with that chief cornerstone. You know, ideally, if you're looking at a chief cornerstone, you know, the, these cornerstones, they were rectangular in shape. And it was perfectly symmetrical on both sides. It was, it was perfectly square. And it was that 90-degree angle. That way you could look perfectly down the line, whether it's a chalk line or whatever you drew, and that stone falls right in line. There is no example that is greater than Jesus Christ. There is no one else you should look to. You shouldn't look to Pastor Morris. You shouldn't look to one of the televangelists. You shouldn't look to your favorite Christian author. You look to Jesus. There is nothing that can supplement what Jesus can do. So when I say we need to fall in line, he needs to be the pinnacle for everything. He needs to be that benchmark that we set, our aim. What I'd like right now is I'd like our prayer altar team to come forward. I'm telling you, if there's the king of someone that has gotten off track, it's the fool with a microphone right now. I get off track. So you might be sitting there right now and you might be feeling guilty. Like the mistakes you have made are different than everybody else. The reality is only Jesus could live a perfect life.
And some of you, God is calling out, align yourself with me. My son, whom I sent, he is the chief cornerstone. Just align with him. Build upon him and what he's done. What I want us to do is I want us to be now open to the Holy Spirit. And if you could stand with me, please. And we're going to sing this song. I think Kelt's playing, Great Are You, Lord. We're just going to open the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And I believe that through this and through this openness, he is going to reveal inside of us ways that we haven't aligned with him. And I think what it is best for us to do when the Holy Spirit speaks that we respond. Who knows, anytime the Holy Spirit prompts you, you should respond immediately. And so respond. Find someone to say, hey, I want you to pray with me in this because I need to give this up in my life or I just need to be held accountable for this in my life and I want to walk on this perfect road that Jesus demonstrated. I'm going to try my best. There's not a single one of us who should live without accountability. There's not a single one of us in this room who can live a perfect life. And so the ones up here standing here knowing that they're not perfect either. So they're not going to judge you for what you're confessing. That's why I believe the work the Holy Spirit does right now is so powerful. Because when we step out and when we, when we recognize his conviction, then in turn when we confess, we go walk in freedom. So understand the deeper work that's taking place here when the Holy Spirit is allowed to do business with us.